Welcome to the Hanover Valley Podcast, a ministry of Hanover Valley Presbyterian Church. We are located at 133 Carlisle Street in downtown Hanover, Pennsylvania. Check out the rest of our website at hanovervalley.org. Thank you for listening. It is good to be with you, even as the third stringer. Um, but it's been uh, been quite a while. It's fun to be back. It's uh, reminiscent. I'm Andy Phillips, and it was part of uh, many, many moons ago. I remember meetings in uh, Drew's basement with our our uh, borrowed session from other churches. So uh, it's been nice to be kind of in and out, closer and further with you all over the years. So I do. Uh, it is special for me to be here. I am currently um, wearing a little bit different hat. I wanted to talk a little bit about that. Uh, I didn't tell Drew I would, so I'm sneaking this in. It's a shameless plug. I run a small school up in uh, Harrisburg called Logos Academy Harrisburg. Hanover Valley is supporting us through your missions fund. We really appreciate that a lot. Uh, you are impacting currently 50 students, the majority of whom are in poverty, and uh, wanted to uh, just give you just a quick update and three things to pray for. Uh, continue to pray for our staff. We have 10 full-time staff and about 10 part-time. Uh, Katrina Ruff, who is here, her parents are here, is one, is one of our kindergarten teachers, well, our best kindergarten teacher our only kindergarten teacher, but uh, regardless, she's uh, she's super talented. We're blessed to have her, and I love that connection as well. And uh, and then uh, our big our vision is to be a pre-K through fifth grade school in Harrisburg, serving primarily low-income kiddos uh, in Harrisburg, providing them with a quality, compassionate education in a Christ-centered environment. So we have a very diverse staff. We've got a diverse student body, and we love it. And so super encouraged to see results. We're trying to bounce back from COVID and the impact there, particularly kids in poverty uh, have struggled and taken a big hit. We're seeing that particularly in mass, so appreciate your prayers for that. So I was trying to remember, okay, three things I want to remind you of a board, a building, and budget. And that's why I'm remembering it. So pray for our board. We've made a major shift. I've talked to each of our board members about their investment uh, financially and otherwise. We've moved into a strategic uh, uh, functioning board where they're helping me think through some different strategies in terms of long-term shifts in leadership and our deepening partnership with Logos Academy in York, who some of you may be familiar with. So pray for them. We have a big meeting Thursday to try to map out some of that. So appreciate your prayers for that. Second, building. If you have visited us, if you haven't visited us, you should. It's an adventure. We are in a very old building built in the 50s We're very with very inadequate bathrooms. Uh, 61 of, of 61 students will be using two very small bathrooms next year. Our plan this summer is to have a major uh, capital improvement effort to the tune of about 75 grand to upgrade those bathrooms, give us teachers some workspace, and so on. So the building Building's an issue. The following summer, we plan to invest about 150,000 to redo some basement classrooms and move our upper elementary school down there, and then we'll be done at least for now. So pray for that. That's the building. That's the board in the building. The budget, um, about 70% of our income comes through individual donors. Some of you are here, and certainly Hanover Valley is a church, and we deeply appreciate that. One of the opportunities that the state of Pennsylvania provides is something called a tax credit. 
so if your tax liability, Pennsylvania tax liability exceeds about $3,500 a year, uh, you can donate funds to a school like Logos Academy, and 90% of that will be a credit against your Pennsylvania taxes. Uh, so I love to say, hey, do you want to pay taxes or help kids get a quality Christ-centered education? And, uh, and that's an easy fit for me. So I'm happy to chat with any of you about that, but I deeply appreciate your, your prayers. So we have some uh, have a sheet that I put in the narthex with some stats, a little story about a kiddo named John C.L. who's benefited from uh, his education at Logos. So I'd encourage you to take advantage of that. And thank you so much for your support and prayers. So let's take uh, your Bibles and turn to Matthew 6. We're going to read... Uh, uh, we're going to read a Jesus teaching about prayer. Um, it's a topic that I hope to push you on as it's pushed me um, in recent months. And uh, so let's, uh, let's read. I'm going to start at verse 5. It's in your bulletins. You can follow along. You'll be familiar with this, the Lord's Prayer. Um, but the context starts verse 5. He says, And when you pray... Do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And then an example of Jesus himself, as he prays in the Garden of Gethsemane, beginning in verse 36 of Matthew 26, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and they began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Amen. And our Lord, would you open our hearts and minds to your word this morning? Might you encourage us? Might you strengthen us? Might we be refreshed to know that you are our Heavenly Father, who is deeply concerned uh, with our needs, who knows what we need before we even ask. And we would ask that you would open our hearts, that you would strengthen us, and that you would remind us of your overwhelming, absolute love for us in Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Prayer is hard. Um, it's, it's weird uh, because prayer is just talking to God. So it's not, it shouldn't be hard, but it's hard. And uh, roll your eyes if you want, debate me if you want, but survey after survey says that. I found uh, Barna did a survey and said that the average Christian in America prays one minute, one minute a day. The average pastor, he's far more godly, of course, five minutes a day. 
And you can find other surveys and things that are far more encouraging than that, but on a sermon in prayer, you need this kind of stuff. Um, It's a good reminder. Um, It's a reminder to us uh, about prayer, about uh, how challenging it is. But the deeper issue is uh, when you start asking, how does it work? And what do you do when it doesn't seem to work, particularly when you're earnestly praying about something that God should do? What do you say to the wife of a man just diagnosed with a form of brain cancer that is incurable and they've given him 18 months? How should she pray? Should she ask God to heal him? Will God? His dad had the same cancer and died. Prayer didn't work. Where's comfort for the mom of a 20-something son who's cut off the family? How should she pray? She's had no contact for almost two years. We pray he'll, he'll return, but can we count on God answering that prayer? Prayer doesn't seem to be working. The 50-year-old woman who's been diagnosed with a rare debilitating disease that is slowly destroying her body, she prays fervently, but the disease continues to progress, and currently she's in a wheelchair in need of 24-hour care. Prayer is not working. The husband moved out. He went back to live with his parents. He doesn't know that he even wants to work on the marriage. His wife is praying for the marriage, but it's not working. Well, God healed the child with leukemia. It appears so at first, but now there are signs that it's not in remission. Prayer's not working. What do we do when prayer doesn't work? And you know what I mean. We go to God with these kind of high-level prayers, and I know enough about some of you anyway to know that you've been there, done that. You've prayed earnestly, and you've felt great sorrow, great anguish. God hasn't responded. He sustained, perhaps, but he hasn't responded. What do you do when prayer doesn't work? When all circumstances seem to indicate that this is the kind of prayer that God should answer, but he doesn't. God lets a disease run its course, a marriage fall apart, a child remain uncured, a job loss, income not provided. And of course, there are ways to explain this. And over the years of pastoral ministry, I've got pretty good at that. There are ways to explain God's actions. There are scenarios. There are ways to approach it. Some are good. Some are not so good. And some are downright harmful and even hurtful. For most of us, for most of us, for me, uh, and for many of us, it boils down to sort of our approach to prayer and what we expect of it. So I want you to bear with me and let me push a little bit, and hopefully it'll get you thinking. Hopefully it'll challenge you as we explore this and try to take a really candid, honest look at prayer and what we think prayer should do, more importantly, what we think God should do. And I'm going to push into a couple things, and then we'll look at some foundational principles that I think Jesus lays out in the text that we read and Jesus' instructions, but largely our prayers don't work because of our approach to prayers. 
and I've alluded to this already, our prayers tend to be utilitarian and superstitious. By utilitarian, I mean it's a view of a God that is simply comprised, and in our entire prayer life might look like this, just some lists of requests. God, do these things. Answer these prayers. And that's certainly appropriate to ask. Jesus said as much. But if that's the sum total of our prayer life, then God's just a being there that's here to wait on our needs, the genie. It can be superstitious. We often approach God in prayer thinking that if we pray hard enough, long enough, and with the right kind of prayers, that God has to answer. And if we can get a bunch of people praying with us, then certainly God has to answer. It is the rabbit's foot approach to God. Maybe he'll act if we can push the right buttons. He'll heal the child with leukemia. We'll move forward in a wayward son, restore a marriage. If we pray the right way, if the right people and the right amount of people pray. And in our tradition, the Presbyterian tradition, we're quick to point the finger at the name it and claim it bunch, but we're pretty guilty of that too. And how we try to manipulate God to do what we think he ought to do. And if you think about your prayers, if you step back and if you create your understanding of God from the way you pray, it's super inconsistent with your theology. We have a God who we think will only act if we can just push him enough. So he's distant, sort of uninterested, certainly it doesn't appear to be very loving. After all, we need to cajole, persist, beg, act, even give direction to God to tell him what he needs to do. We're all guilty of that. He's not the attentive, loving father like the one that leaves the 99 to seek the one, who welcomes the prodigal, who takes on flesh to rescue his wayward people on the cross. But, you know, ultimately, I think as I've reflected on this, I think our prayers are often simply a means of control. We need guarantees. We want certainty. And while in this uncertain world with all kinds of upheaval, we can look at different things and there's all kinds of things, but if we can control God, if we can cause God to act in ways that will assure that my kids will be safe, that they'll turn out right, that my plans will work, my life will be happy, healthy, and filled with personal peace and prosperity. Somebody called that kind of God a codependent deity. And it's really the opposite of faith. It's the opposite of faith. Opposite of faith isn't doubt, it's certainty, thinking that we can be certain about things. You remember John the Baptist's dad? When, he was, when the angel appeared and said, hey, your wife is going to be with child, he said, how can I be sure of this? How can I be certain? We want certainty. It gives us a sense of control. It gives us a sense of control, particularly in an out-of-control world. So what do we do? What do we do when our prayers don't work, when God doesn't answer prayers as he should, when God lets a disease run its course, a marriage fall apart, a child's illness remain uncured, a job lost, income not provided? I think what Jesus tells us, particularly as he introduces the Lord's Prayer, and as he demonstrates, he calls us to live the mystery 
by resting in the abounding love of God the Father known in him. Live the mystery. Resting in the foundational relationship with we, which we have with God the Father. So notice how he starts the prayer, the introduction. Three times he says, your father, your father, your father. And how does it, the prayer itself start? Our father. Not a big deal. We run right by that. Many of you can recite the Lord's Prayer uh, without even thinking. But father is pretty unique. It wasn't until Jesus came along that God was addressed directly as Father. It's intimate. It's personal. Some have even argued that that word would be better translated, Daddy. So you've got this intimacy that's foundational to prayer. Foundational. The Father. Now, it's pretty tricky in the world that I run in because many of my students when I mention father, triggers tons of stuff. Not good. And for some of you, perhaps, too. My father was inconsistent all over the place, very proud of me, but he was demanding, and he always expected me to live up to a standard that, in his eyes, I don't think I ever quite met. So that can mess with your head. But what we need to do is go and look at the kind of father that Jesus has in view here, that Jesus himself is, as it were. Look at the prodigal, the father of the prodigal son in Luke 15. That's the kind of image that we need to have in our mind. The kind of father when you take the inheritance, run off and have a big old time, blow everything, uh, throw off all the rules of your family, and then return expecting to grovel and beg and be treated as a slave and instead your father embraces you, doesn't hear a word about forgiveness, just loves you and is thrilled that you're back. That's the father that Jesus has in view. That's the father that's foundational. Even better, the way he treats that self-righteous, ungrateful older brother. He's, he's the villain in the story from my vantage point. He's got everything he wants. He's demanding, hey, what about a party for me? This guy, I don't care about this. And the father loves even him. That image of the God that you worship has got to be foundational, particularly when your prayers aren't working. Particularly when your prayers aren't working. Does our, do our prayers reflect confidence in God comforting as a comforting presence, a loving father? Or is he just that deity we reach out to when things aren't working out so well? If that's the case, when prayers aren't answered, when prayers aren't working, you're going to be frustrated at least. Is Jesus our Emmanuel, God with us? A comfort, a real comfort? Is knowing that Jesus by his spirit is closer to us than we are to ourselves a comfort? an assurance, a source of confidence and peace? Those are two great questions that are great reality checks. If the idea that the God of the Bible, who we know in Jesus, knows who you are deeply, truly, and intimately, if that terrifies you, if all you want to do is try to hide from that kind of God, then you don't know the good news of the gospel of Jesus. 
You don't understand what the cross has done. It has cleansed everything. You are perfect in the sight of God. You are the beloved child. Those questions are that reality check. Knowing that God knows you and loves you just as you are is foundational. If you don't have that, prayer will always be problematic, especially when our prayers aren't working. Because when our prayers aren't working, we're forced to live the mystery. We're forced to live the mystery. And we don't want to live the mystery. We want the mystery to be solved. We want answers or at least an explanation, a reason. God, why me? Why is this happening? But Jesus' instructions and the beginning of the Lord's Prayer themselves effectively tell us, live the mystery. Because what does it say? Your kingdom come, your will be done. Your will be done. Find comfort not in the answer to the mystery or the solution or the fix. After all, Jesus says, your father knows what you need. So it's not about the ask necessarily. It's not about the answer. Your comfort is in your God who you can trust him enough to earnestly pray your will be done. I can remember quite a number of years ago, I remember exactly where I was. I was in my little office upstairs at our uh, previous house. And I I read somewhere that uh, somebody suggested that it's good to pray, God, show me that you're all that I need. And I went, God, show me. I think I'll put that one on hold. I'm not going to pray that because what if he does? What if he does? This is my loving father who cares for me far beyond any human being could possibly love and care for me. This amazing love, so amazing, so incredible, puts on flesh and suffers a terrible death, a humiliating death, lives the life that we should have lived and died the death that we deserve to die. We don't want to live the mystery. We want the mystery solved. We want answers. I love Jesus' prayer in the garden. It's a perfect example. Because what you have here is Jesus makes a request, doesn't he? If possible, take this cup from me. It's a cup of the cross, the cup of God's wrath. If possible, take this cup from me. If possible, fix this. Answer this prayer. But, but, not my will. Your will be done. Wow. Wow. Do we ever pray like that? Really? Sincerely? Especially in the face of great angst. And we won't unless we are convinced of the absolute love of God the Father in Jesus Christ. Unless we're absolutely convinced that we are deeply known and loved by God in Jesus. Unless we've grasped the gospel. You know, Linda and I have largely lived a pretty um, trouble-free, traumatic-free life. Not a lot of pains in our life in all these 60-some years. I've lost parents and those kind of things. Um, But as a pastor, 
I've had the privilege, and really it's been it's an insight that a lot of us don't get to watch people go through these times when prayer doesn't work. And there's a couple things I've learned as I've watched these uh, folks wrestle through these difficult times. One of the things I've learned is that God always seems to draw closest in the storm. There's some caveats in that that I'll mention in a minute, but I love the account of Peter at Walking on Water. You remember that? It's one of my favorite because it's typical Peter. They're frightened because they think they see a ghost. And then once Peter realizes it's Jesus, he wants him and says, hey, tell me to walk on the water. He's put two and two together. He's walking on the water. Everything's great. And then he starts to go, hey, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to be doing this. And, of course, he's overwhelmed, begins to sink. And what happens is when, is, when is Peter closest to Jesus? When he starts to sink. And the scriptures say Jesus takes hold of him, takes him in his arms when he starts to sink. And I've seen that in people. I've seen that in people of faith who have an openness to God. People of faith who approach life even in their misery of prayer not working with no sense of entitlement. I don't deserve this disease. I don't deserve this problem, this issue. Why me? And there's a sense where God is especially close to them. The other thing I've seen, it's kind of related to that, is this the power of gratitude, a recognition in people going through these horrible times and difficult challenges that everything's a gift. Everything's a gift. One writer puts it like this. When we expect, we're soon going to resent it when we don't get what we think we deserve. So what the gospel says is stop expecting. Entitlement is lethal for the soul. Everything is a gift. 100% pure gift. The reason any of us woke up in the morning had very little to do with us and everything to do with God. All 24 hours total in a day are a gift. And so the only real prayer is to say thank you and to keep saying it. Being grateful is about looking around, opening our eyes to all the little things that we might take for granted. And that takes practice. And that's not my words. That's the word of a man who was confined to a wheelchair at the age of 18 when he had a diving accident. He learned to be grateful. That sustained him. He didn't have a, 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 a spiritual framework at all. But even for him, gratitude was telling and was strengthening. And, of course, that takes practice. And then the last thing I've observed is that there's power in the reality of the loving presence of God. If we are absolutely grounded in the absolute love of God, then he, that can sustain us in all things. That can sustain us in all things. And we can have courage to face all things. Linda and I have been talking with a friend of ours that's... Uh, dealing with an incurable disease. There's no hope of cure. It's a unique uh, 
She's deteriorating currently in a wheelchair, needing 24-hour care. And I, and I asked her, um, how do you pray? Uh, we've had these kind of conversations, and I've, uh, and I've appreciated her response. She said, she said, first of all, I know that God loves me. Because God doesn't just love, she says, First John tells me, he is love. So I know that. She said, I know that if I was the only person in the world, Jesus would have died for me. And she said, that's enough. I thought, wow, that's interesting. And then she said, but I ask him to heal me because he says to ask. And that's where it stops for her. And it's this amazing faith that's grounded in the absolute love of God the Father known in Jesus so that while she's able to live this mystery, that as I look on from the outside, I go, how do you do it? How do you do it? What do we do when our prayers don't work? I think we need to look at it, take a good hard look at how we pray and what we think prayer is. Do we ever take time just to sit and talk to God about what's going on in our head? Do we ever take time to just sit and reflect on the fact that God loves us, that he knows you deeply and truly and intimately? I forget where I saw this, but one of the things that's pretty powerful is, and we all sort of think this, we all kind of think God's, that we're sort of one of God's favorites, and this author suggests that the reason is, is because God's love for each of us individually is so specifically tailored that we can't help but to think that. The cross gives us assurance. The power of God's love is what sustains us and enables us to live the mystery as we rest in the foundation of the absolute love of God known in Jesus. Let's pray. Our God, we struggle through life I know there's much pain. Even as I look around the room this morning, I see faces, and I know enough to know that uh, there's been great suffering here. But I also know uh, that you have sustained with your absolute love, taking into your arms as our loving Father and upholding us. Would you forgive us for simply viewing you as the cosmic uh, genie that's there to fix things the way we want. And instead, might we uh, open ourselves to rest in your arm as we live the mystery of prayer not working, of things not being fixed the way we think they should, but know of your absolute love of this heavenly Father that is so clearly displayed on the cross. Might that be our comfort, our power, and our assurance. We pray. In the great name of Jesus, amen.